Listen up or run for cover. Dropping knowledge from the people who have it to the people who need it. The, the, the real Bradley Bombs is dropping. What it is, Bradley, back again with another episode of Drop Bombs. Today, folks, do I have a real, actual treat for you. Folks, this man needs no introduction. Patrick Bet David, welcome to the program. It's good to be with you. Man, dude, I couldn't believe when you guys said, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll jump on there. I'm like, dude, this is the guy I've been wanting to get for ever and ever. And if you guys don't know who he is, let me get the credit for introducing him. Patrick Bet David basically is a, is, is a prodigy. It's, it's, he's like a, some people call him a miracle. He's a successful startup entrepreneur, started basically a, a, a PHP agency, which has got thousands of people. Your events are off the chart. He's bringing people in like Kobe Bryant, rest his soul. You know, and, and I don't even know, the list goes on and on, but like, dude, I don't know how you get all those people other than maybe a big fat check. But dude, you get you you put on the events that people, uh, you know, basically set the standard at. You uh, obviously started Valuetainment. He's got millions of. You're up to millions on on uh, YouTube, no? Yeah, we're at two three two point three two point four. 2.4 million subscribers on YouTube, Valuetainment. If you guys aren't subscribed to that, you better go subscribe. You probably already are following them on Instagram. If you're not, it's at Patrick Bet, like you bet the cards, David, at Patrick Bet David, man. And welcome to the freaking dropping bombs, brother. I appreciate your time today. It's good to be on with you. Like I said, man, when they said Brad, I said I'm going to get on with Brad on his uh uh, podcast because uh, you yourself, you, you give some messages that may, I listen to your message. I'm like, this guy makes a ton of sense. So it's good to be on with you. Well, I appreciate it. Hey, and let me just, let me just uh, crack it off a little bit with, with this, with this COVID conversation only because I had Dr. Buttar. I think you had Dr. Buttar. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, we, we got Buttar on Lightspeed now. So his whole, his whole program, we're going to be virtualizing and, and hopefully doing some good there. But did you get, did your video get clipped like mine did? So I had four videos that got clipped. One is Dr. Judy Mikovits who got clipped. Uh, she ended up getting 2 million views in six days. That was taken down. And then we had uh, a short clip of Buttar was taken down. Then a short clip of Peter Schiff was taken down. And then another short clip of uh, Judy was taken out. So one long format and the rest were short clips that were taken down. Now, only because, look, I, I, I know a lot of people. I, I get a lot of people on Lightspeed and I get fortunate enough to hang around all the gurus, the entrepreneurs, the whatnot. And you, sir, are one that I actually, you know, like and respect and, and would, would pay. Like a lot of these people... And, and nothing against them. They're, they're good people. But a lot of them, it's like, you know, well, shit, my company's bigger than theirs. But at the end of the day, I listen and learn from everybody. But you, I actually uh, admire and respect. So I'm interested to find out what your take is on, like Buttar and, and, and Judy's content. Do you, is it like too conspiracy for you? Or is it like you, you believe that? So here's where I'm at. One of, one of the uh, things that uh, I did growing up as a kid, when my parents got a divorce, uh, my mother's side, in the Armenian and Assyrian community, it's very competitive. And what I mean by competitive, it's almost like, uh, you know, in the Latino community, one's from Michoacan, one's from Jalisco, or, you know, uh, Auburn going against Bam, you know, Alabama. It's, it's that kind of a thing, Armenians and Assyrians. So my parents got a divorce. My mother's family would say, he's a bit David. He's a Syrian. And my dad's family would say he's Armenian. He's a Borosian. And it would piss me off because mother's side would talk smack about dad and dad's side would talk smack about mom. That's one of the reasons why those guys got a divorce. So one day I sat him down. I was like nine years old, 10 years old. And I said, I want you guys to know something here. There's only three people that matter in my life. My mom, my dad, and my sister. You guys are all extensions of it. If you ever want to see me or talk to me, if you disrespect my mom, you'll never see me. If you disrespect my dad, you'll never talk to me. It's your choice. What do you guys want to do? And it was, it was a bold thing to do because I was a kid. 
but I couldn't stand being bullied. You know, my kids, when we uh, go to sleep at night, my sons are at the office. Every other day, the, uh, another one comes in. So one day is my oldest, then it's the middle one, then it's the oldest, then it's the middle one. They come in here, they have stuff that they need to do on a daily basis. There's a few things that I teach them on a daily basis. The David family, we lead, we respect, we improve, we love. We don't bully, but we also don't get bullied. And then we pray for four things, courage, wisdom, tolerance, understanding. So I never liked the bullying side of things, and it happens a lot in a lot of different families. And then today it's happening on social media. You're obviously seeing what Trump is doing with social media, calling them out, and then the position Jack Dorsey took and the position Zuck took. Zuck took the position of it's not on us to decide what's politically correct and what's not. And Jack Dorsey took the position of saying, no, this is not factual. So we are going to take the position of censorship. Facebook's taking a position of saying it's none of our business. They can say whatever they want to say. Okay. So let's go to some of those issues with vaccine. The thing that really caught me off guard, Brad, was the following. I'm pro-vaccine. My kids are done all their vaccines. I've done God knows how many vaccines. When I joined the army, they gave me 11 shots on an air gun day one. I don't even know what, like they give you the gun and say, you may grow a third arm one day and it's not going to be on us because you signed out your government property for eight years. When you join the army, you get all these shots. So I've had vaccines. My eight-year-old's had all his vaccines. My six-year-old has had all his vaccines. And my four-year-old daughter has had all her vaccines. So has my wife. So have we as a family. The thing that concerns me is when somebody is not willing to debate the issue. I was watching the... Uh, Robert De Niro at a film festival, I don't know if you've seen this clip, where they're being asked and saying, I was surprised why they took Vax was supposed to be one of the bigger documentaries at this film festival, but it was taken down. And Robert De Niro got upset. He says, I was upset that they took this thing down. This was an incredible documentary I watched. And the person sitting here that was being, wanted to keep everything political, she's like, well, it's not because we took it down. It just wasn't something that we saw valuable. And then the lady, the host, asked Robert De Niro and says, how important is this issue to you? He says, very, because my 16-year-old son, I don't talk about this publicly, is autistic, and it happened after he got a vaccine shot. And today his son would be 21 years old. So I'm sitting there saying, okay, De Niro hates Trump. Everyone knows it passionately. He's cursed him out in worst possible way. And everybody loves De Niro's movies. Who doesn't love De Niro's movies of what he's done as an actor? So then when I brought Dr. Judy in, a guy on YouTube who's got a channel called Dr. Mike, he's got like five, six million subscribers. He's one of these good looking, pretty boy, white boy, 30 years old, stud, nice body, speaks well, very eloquent. He called out Dr. Judy. And very, I mean, not a nice video. Everything is, she's wrong, she's wrong, she's wrong, she's wrong. And he's very close to Fauci. And Fauci's been on his YouTube channel before. So I said, you know what? I told my booker, this is a booker of 22 years CBS. I said, why don't you call Dr. Mike? If he's this vocal, maybe he would agree to be on because I contacted, you know, uh, uh, Dr. Off, which is one of the biggest pro-vax guys. I contacted Hoetz. I contacted Paul Offit. I contacted all these guys. And they flat out said, we're not open to a debate. So they just weren't willing to uh, uh, entertain it, which I respect. They took their position, no problem. My booker contacts this uh, uh, good-looking guy, uh, Dr. Mike, who is very vocal against Dr. Judy, and he finds his cell phone. They speak. He says, I'm 100% and I'll do the debate. My booker calls him back again. He says, I'm 100% and you don't need to call me again. My booker calls him the next day. He says, I'm telling you, I'm all in. We're getting ready to do the debate. His people contact my booker and they said he's canceled. Why? So I said, he's canceled for what? So I sent him a message on Instagram. And when I sent him a message on Instagram, I said, listen, I thought you were wanting to do this debate. He says, your booker was very offensive. He questioned my integrity. I said, question your integrity. You said yes to him three times. He says, honestly, I'm very busy right now. Or else I would have done it. Maybe we can revisit the six, 12 months from now. I said, that's not how life works. And I messaged him. I said, you know exactly well you have time. I said, I'm married. I got a wife. I got three kids. I run a business. I run two businesses. I got investors. I got 15,000 agents, 130 offices, attorneys, legal issues. All of these things I'm dealing with, I have the time to sit down and talk to you. And in your video that you said in your video, you watched every single video on uh, vaccines. You watched every one of them and you don't have time to do this. I said, I don't think it's time. I said, I think you're just avoiding the debate. I wish you nothing but the best. So look, it hasn't changed my position. All it's done is I don't understand why the pro-vaccine party is not willing to entertain a debate. When Mayweather didn't want to fight Pacquiao at his prime, everybody said, he's afraid of Pacquiao. 
You know, when you look at Ali and they fought Norton, they fought Frazier, these guys lost. I mean, Ali's record is 56 and 5 or 55 and 6. They lost a few times because they faced the opponent at their best. They gained that respect. It always concerns me with some people that talk smack about a, another view, but they don't have the guts to sit down and debate the other person. Maybe there's something hiding. I don't know what it is, but that's kind of where I go with this. So does it change your perspective at all? It changes my perspective to know that Big Pharma probably has a lot more influence than we think they do. Uh, when you're seeing the fact that a lot of these shows are being funded by these guys that got a lot of money, you just have to think about it. Look, I had today Michael Porter. Michael Porter, uh, uh, the professor of Harvard University, has been known as the, the Forbes calls him the greatest business professor of all time. Okay, He wrote the book Competitive Strategy. And I had his co-author with me today. Her name is uh, Catherine Gale. Catherine Gale uh, just sold her company. Top line revenue was a quarter of a billion dollars. Uh, and she sat on Obama's board for five years. And we had the conversation today. And we're going back and forth. And we're talking about business and all this other stuff. They wrote a book called uh, Politics Industry. The Politics Industry. This is the title of the book. But Politics Industry. And the angle they're taking is the fact that the reason why politics isn't working is because politics doesn't have as much competition as, you know, business does. Businesses, there's a lot of competition, but politics don't. There's only two parties. And God forbid, if you're Howard Schultz, you say you're going to run for office as an independent. Democrats are frightened of you because you're going to pull votes away like Ross Perot did of Republicans years ago when George Bush lost to Clinton. They're afraid of a third party. They don't want a lot of competition. They want a few competition. Okay. What is a part of capitalism that gets a black eye? Crony capitalism. I'm not a fan of it. I'm not a fan of lobbyists. I'm not a fan of uh, buying uh, candidates. I'm not a fan of the fact that you can go give a guy money and then he owes you a favor. I'm just not a fan of any of that stuff. I'm also not a fan of knowing that no industry advertises more with media than Big Pharma. If Big Pharma is giving you $100 million of advertising every year to your top line revenue, are you going to say anything to undermine them? I don't know. So again, I'm not in it to know everything and I'm not a conspiracy theory guy. I'm not even a conspiracy research guy. I'm just an entrepreneur that's curious and I read a lot. It, uh, it definitely makes me question a lot of things that's going on. How much do you read? Uh, I, I read a little too much probably. I, I should, I, I'm, I'm overdue for a week break. I haven't done that for a while, but I read a lot. I'm always learning. I'm always curious. I'm always wanting to know what's going on out there. I'm always uh, 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 you know, wanting to get deeper on topics. I, I think it's a uh, ability that all of us have that we don't use that strength enough. But I'm constantly reading. I'm always reading. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, when I watch you on your videos, I've seen you speak on stage, you've got this freaking confidence about you. This, this, poli uh, this polished confidence, I would say, I call it. It's almost like, dude, you're, you, you, you'll talk to anyone like, you're just confident. Where do you get that confidence from? Where do I get that confidence from? The confidence comes from knowing I have no games to play against you. I don't have any games. I don't have any uh, motives. I don't want anything from you. I'm not trying to take anything away from you. So because I'm not coming from a place of trying to uh, uh, manipulate the situation, et cetera, et cetera, and I trust myself because that's been my track record with the people that do business with me, I have nothing to hide. So, you know, that's probably one of the biggest things. My dad, you know, everybody's parents teach them different things. You know, some of them say stay close to God. Some of them say respect women. Some of them say work hard. Some of them, a lot of different things. My dad always said, never be afraid of the truth. I mean, Brad, I got to tell you, he told me this a billion times. Never be afraid of the truth. Never be afraid of the truth. Never be afraid of the truth. So today with my kids, I have boys and... I'm not the one that's soft with my boys. I think boys needs to be pushed around a little bit by their fathers. Now, my daughter is a complete different story, and that's her mother's job, not my job. I play a different role with my daughter. But with my boys, we have a rule. If you lie, you get three pow-pows. If you tell the truth, you don't get any pow-pows. So, so you simply get in trouble and you have a conversation with me, but I'm not doing, you're not getting no, nothing that's going to happen to you if you tell the truth. So from a young age, they're being trained to not be afraid of the truth. And I think if you live it that way. Now, this doesn't mean that I don't uh, uh, exaggerate or I don't do this because in sales, sometimes I'm not trying to paint myself as this flawless, picture-perfect guy that, you know, walks on water. Not at all. But I'm, I'm not afraid of a lot. I'm not afraid of uh, much. 
uh, of my past, my flaws, my insecurities. I'm pretty comfortable in my own skin. Yeah, I always, I always assumed just watching you, like it is because you read a lot. It's like once you have this certainty and or you're well read, I believe I believe that kind of gives you a, a certain air of confidence where you can intellectually keep up with pretty much anybody. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that as well, that reading gives you a lot of that, but you can read. I think I read it somewhere that when you read, you will get to a point that you can manipulate others to get what you want. And, and, and if you get to that point, you can abuse your power. And, and a lot of people do. You know how it is. Once you learn the words, you can really use them to get anything and everything you want. But then if you learn to persuade and you realize that you'd love to have somebody like you in business with yourself and you get to that point where you're pretty confident about it, I think now you have a weapon, which is knowledge and information. And at the same time, from coming from a good place, you feel pretty confident to impose yourself and have conversations with others. That doesn't mean I don't, uh, uh, you know, it's funny. I'm a Christian. I consider myself a Christian, but I'm probably the Christian that uh, pastor sits there and says, why do you question everything? I said, listen, man, it's my wiring. What do you want me to do? I was a kid that grew up in Iran. We got bombed all the time. I got kicked out of Sunday school because the teacher would tell my dad and my mom, your son questions everything about God. He confuses the other kids. I was an atheist for 25 years of my life. You know, I, I'm always questioning things. I'm always asking because I want to learn more. And uh, I think that a little bit of the confidence with a little bit of knowing the fact that you don't have 100%. Like, like when you talk to an atheist and, and the debate goes to how do you know there's not a God? Like agnostic argument I get, which is what? I think there's a God. I just don't know what it is. Fair. Fully get it. But when you talk to an atheist and an atheist says, there is no God, 100%. Then you follow up and you ask a question and say, John, you seem very confident. I am. Out of all the information in the world... How much of the entire information in the world do you think you know? You're a pretty educated guy. Let's just say you got a PhD, doctor, MBA, and all these other things. How much of every single information on Wikipedia, dictionary, inside, how much of it do you think you know? 50%, 5%, 10%? I think I know 15%. Don't you think a part of the other 85% could convince you that maybe God exists? No. That's arrogant. So that's an arrogant argument. You can take that argument. So for me, there's always an out, like maybe I am wrong with a part of this argument. Please convince me. Let's have that debate and go back and forth. But the, there's also certain things that are confidence because it's based on track record. And those are your values and principles. But everything here is there's an element of wanting to have a nice, friendly debate to see if there's another way of seeing it. Have you always been that way? I would say yes. I, I, I'll say that part is yes. Like after you got out of the army, you weren't making a bunch of money. When did you start saying, hey, listen, because a lot of the people listening to this podcast are entrepreneurial and or business owners out there trying to freaking, you know, double, triple, quadruple, blow Let me up. Say this, Brad, not to interrupt you. When you say, have you always been that way? Are you saying, have you always been a little bit like, I'm not 100% sure, so I want to know more. Is that what you're saying? Or are you saying, have you always been confident? Yeah, have you always been confident? Because a lot, I see no. a lot of people's problem is their confidence. They don't believe in themselves, so they don't take they don't take action. They they don't speak with conviction. They they don't have intention. So I'm trying to figure out what is it about Patrick that allows him to freaking walk out on a stage and be. I mean, because again, when you're saying what you're saying, you'll. Here's what I feel comfortable doing. If I'll argue with anybody, I don't care who it is. I'll argue with someone at, at, over this point. That's when I have the most confidence. Why? Because I believe certainty. So I'm trying to figure out, okay, if everybody's listening, what's the most value I could give them by talking to you? And it's number one, how do we get people as certain as Patrick? Because I think that is going to double, triple business no matter what business you're in. So reading books a lot, again, a lot of people don't read. You, you mentioned it. But more importantly, I'm thinking back. Okay, so when he got out of the army, you, you, weren't, you weren't making any money, right? No, not at all. Thirty-six thousand. You didn't come from a rich Armenian or Syrian nope. family that just dropped a bunch of coin on your lap. You were broke like everybody else, yeah. My dad was a cashier at a ninety-nine cent store, and my mom uh, was on welfare, and she went back to Iran because she ran out of money. But you know, when you're asking this question, it's a great question because if you ask my dad and my sister, okay, if you ask my dad, I did a live uh, uh, Instagram live with my dad on his birthday and he finally agreed. He never wanted to do it. Finally, he agreed to do a live and we had fun together. It's on uh, one of my YouTube channels. But he's finally agreed to do an interview. He's willing to sit down here, he keeps pushing back, but I'm trying to get him to finally agree to do this. My dad would tell you 
I was probably the shyest kid in school. Very shy. I was a shy kid. Uh, I would always hide behind my dad's leg. I was that kid. There was this, people would make fun of me because I would always go like this. This was a sign when I was shy. My head would go down and I would do one of these things. Everybody knew those, you know, mannerisms that Pat had. But we went to Germany and my parents got a divorce. That's the best thing that happened to me. Here's why. In Germany, at that refugee camp, uh, I didn't have a father figure, and I was with my sister and uh, my mom. My sister's uh, six years older than me. And at that event in Germany for that year and a half that I was there, I had no choice. My back was against the wall, and you kind of had to realize that, uh, look, for 10 years you live with a man in your household that's protected you. He ain't here anymore. And you're in a country where you, you don't speak the language. You're living at a refugee camp with people from Yugoslavia at that time, you know, Poland, Czech, all these other people, Albanian, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and you're all together. It's pretty ugly. It's not a, you know, beautiful situation. I learned very quickly that you cannot be naive. The world isn't perfect. You know, I, I tell my son, I said, you know, Dylan, almost everybody likes you. He says, Dad, you mean some people don't like me? I said, of course, not everybody's going to like you but almost everybody likes you. He, so daddy, you don't think everybody likes you? I said, oh buddy, I promise you more people like you than they like me. A lot of people don't like me and that's okay. Why don't people like you? I said, we have to learn that. I learned that in Germany. Not everybody wants the best for you and that's okay. You can't be naive in the marketplace. So, so that kind of made me a little bit tough to realize, hey, be a little bit careful before you do business with anybody. Be a little bit careful because you get a guy to be too comfortable with your sister. Be a little bit careful before a man comes into your household and it's your mom and your sister there. Keep your eye out. You know what I'm saying? You don't need to play video games. If a man comes in your household, turn off the video game, go sit right next to your mom and just watch the man see why he's here. You know, that lens kind of gave that protection, right? And then we came to the States and I uh, uh, was bodybuilding. Bodybuilding gave me a lot of confidence because it was the one thing in my life that I succeeded in. I never played organized sports. Keep in mind, I'm six, four and a half, 245. I've never played organized sports. I've never had a jersey, Brad. I've never, ever had a jersey. I ran fast. I would bench press two plates at 16 years old, but I've never been part of any football. I was never a tight end. I was never a power forward. I was never a first baseman. I was never a left fielder. I never tracked nothing. Right after school, I would go to haagen and I had a job at 3.30, and I lied on my uh, 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 age because they believed I was 16 because I was tall. And Elaine hired me, the owner of this Hagen does at Glendale Galleria. So then I went to the army. When I went in the army, I finished boot camp. And then I got out of boot camp and I kind of started getting a little bit confidence because the unit, I'm like, listen, this is, you know, you can hang with other personalities. You can hang with people from Mississippi, Alabama, New York. And I started pulling from all these other places. And then a kid named Kogan Alaverdian called me one day and he said, Pat, you're the, you're the Middle Eastern Will Smith. You need to get out of the army. I said, I'm going to do Army 20 years. This is it. This is my life. This is the best decision I made. He says, you're making the biggest mistake of your life. I said, I'm staying in. And I got out of the Army, started working at Bally's, learned how to sell. Then I got into financial services industry a day before 9-11. And then, Brad, the moment I got results in financial services and I realized I had confidence as a serious 7, 66, 31, 26, life and up as a guy that could sell, then I said, Okay, now you can make a quarter million. What do you want to do with the skill set now? And how big do you want to go? So there comes a time you could be confident and only make 80 grand a year. You could be I know confident people making 50 grand a year. I know confident people making $95,000 a year. So confidence is one element, but then how big do you think? So now how big you think, the next step is for you to go out there and say, you know what? I need an opponent. I need to see how big is your spirit. How big is your courage? So I went to Arizona. This one guy was speaking. He was the number one guy in that company at the time. Everybody was afraid of him. I went to Arizona. I waited for this guy to finish the meeting. I was 25, 26 years old. And he got out of the meeting. I said, can I get a minute with you? He said, yes. I said, I have to tell you this for me. It's not for you. I have to tell, tell it to you for me. He says, what's that? I said, I will build a business 100 times bigger than you, and you will never be as big as me. I said this to him. Okay, now, very arrogant, very cocky, but it wasn't for him. He snapped. And at this point, again, I have no moral authority to say anything to this guy. He's crushing me at this time. But I did it for me to see if I can hang in the ring. You're going to get scared. You're going to shiver. Are you going to be like a chicken? Let's see how tough you are, Mr. Bad Guy. Come here, Mr. Tough Guy, Patrick Bed David. Face this guy and see if you're scared. 
Then I was like, oh my gosh, this was too much. I shouldn't have done it. I went on the plane. Why'd you say this? Are you out of your mind now? You have to deliver. What if you don't? Anxiety, anxiety, anxiety. And then I said, what the hell is wrong with you, man? Let's go fight. What do you mean you're afraid? You don't need to be afraid of this. That's when I came with the formula. Four steps. And Brad, this changed my life. These four steps. The formula for me was the following. Almost everybody will tell you what. You got to work hard. It's not enough. It's not enough. You can outwork and you still won't be the best. Second one, you got to out improve. That's great, but it's not enough. So you got those that only outwork, but they don't out improve. They still rely on the 19 books that they read, thinking grow rich, laws of success, rich that poor that, how to win friends and influence. The same 19 books that everybody reads, right? They stop growing. So what if you do outwork and what if you do out improve? That's not enough. What do you need outside of that? You need to out strategize. How do I get strategies? Well, that takes a little bit of time. It's a lot of trial and trial and error. It's a lot of mix. It's like cooking. You got to mix the sauce and the comp structure and philosophies and a script added with this and the timing and a season and a month. These are all strategies on how you do those together. And then that's not enough because there's a last one. What's the last one? The last one will take a long time to find out. The last one is called outlast. Most people are not going to last. So the confidence for me, Brad, came from knowing I dare you to outlast me. I dare you to outlast me. And that was a mindset. I know, I, again, I know to most people this kind of sounds like, you know, this guy sounds like he's full of himself. I'm just giving you my formula. Once I realize I'm not going to stop, as long as God keeps me healthy, I'm not going to stop, then you have to make sure you outlast me. If you do, I salute you and I respect you. <laughs> Good shit. Well, <clears throat> see, so... I've been starting to, you know, look back over my life. When you look back, it's 2020. When you look forward, you don't know what the hell's going on. I'm a late bloomer. Like I just started reading, I'd say two, three years ago. And I went, you know, and it made a massive difference. I think uh, these four elements right there, I need to do the out improve and out strategize. Folks, if you guys are listening to this, make sure that you go follow Patrick, watch what he's saying. You know, he puts a lot out there, free value, valuetainment. You know, you've got unbelievable interviews with mobsters, freaking historians, like, you know, conspiracy, not conspiracy, business people. How do you get all these people on your show? Just a booker? Yeah, a great booker. Now, obviously, the people that speak at my event, I paid for them. Like Kobe Bryant came to my event and he spoke in front of our 8,000 guys. You have to pay him to come out. George Bush, he came to our event. You, 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 that one's a little bit more than paying the guy. You can offer the guy to pay him. He still won't show up. That took three years of follow-up with him and getting to know his uh, people before getting them. But everybody else that's ever been a guest on Valuetainment that's never spoken on stage at an event of mine, I've never paid a penny to what about Jordan Peterson, man? I, I always wanted to freaking talk to him. When I listen to him, man, he just you can't argue with Jordan Peterson. Now, why is that? Because he is very well read and he's so clear in his philosophies and he's aligned. You know, when you meet somebody that's aligned, Brad, it's, it's so uh, intimidating. Let me explain to what I mean by alignment. Most of us know how to say all the right things. I mean, God knows how many YouTube channels are out there that say all the right things. They, they, they can go get every one of the right principles and repeat it all. But that means nothing because saying it and believing it and living it are two to three different things. So if you can say it and you believe it and you live it, you're aligned. And that produces a level of confidence that everybody feels. That's what Jordan Peterson brings to the table. He believes and lives what he says and tells others to do. Guy's a very confident guy. So let's talk a little bit about uh, PHP for a moment. Cause I know, I know uh, I've heard, that you, you know, you were, you got into the business, you didn't have PHP. And at some point in time, you basically were like trying to give other people that you were working with or for, I'm not sure the story, I want to clarify it with you, but you were ultimately saying, Hey, we can do it this way and we can do it this way. And they basically said, shut up, shut up, kid, you know, just do your job. And you basically eventually said, screw it. I'm going to go do my own thing. And now there's 15,000 agents, et cetera. How did, what was that transition? It's, uh, it's an interesting story. So I'm in the company, I'm doing well, I'm uh, making money. And then in 08, I am uh, uh, furious with myself because I'm making money. I found a girl that I'm probably going to marry. Obviously, she ends up being my wife and the mother of my three kids. 
I found an industry that I can be in for 20 years and make good money. I've heard the magical words from my father, which is I'm proud of you. I've heard it from my mother. My friends are blown away. My teachers, professors, I've spoken on my high school, uh, brought up by my vice principal. All of these weird things you want. I've traveled all over the world, the nice cars, the party, and I've, you know, a lot of different things. I've had a good life. Then one day I pull aside my uh, advisors at the time and I said, I kind of need to figure out what I'm going to do with my life because money alone bores me. It's got to be very, very big and I'm willing to give my life to it. So I pulled these guys aside and I said, can you guys just introduce me to certain people? So the first man, Bill, he takes me and introduced me to George Will. I don't know if you know who George Will is. He was the former advisor to Reagan and uh, some of these other guys, presidents, and uh, he had good things he would do with William Buckley and I'm a big William Buckley fan. So I go meet George Will. I go meet Larry Arn. I go meet uh, John Voigt. I go meet some of these guys. And he, he gets up on stage and he starts talking to me. And he gets off stage and he says, listen, kid, uh, uh, why'd you come to America? I said, uh, I don't know, because the land of the free. He says, no, actually, why don't you go study and find out why America has the most immigrants and spend the rest of your life talking about that. I said, why does America have the most immigrants? I said, uh, why does that matter? He says, because you can be a very good voice for that. You can really make an impact with that uh, story. So I said, okay, let me go back, and I started looking. I said, okay, you grew up in a family. Your mother's side, they're communists. Your dad's side, they're imperialists. Parents got a divorce twice in 20 years. You come to the States here. You're trying to figure it out. You go to school, 1.8 GPA. You join the Army. You go into financial services. You're doing okay for yourself. You're a math guy. You like calculus. You didn't like anything else but math. And now you are at the stage. Why are you in America? Capitalism. Wow. Brad, when that got a hold of me, it was over. I started giving messages. People are like, what the hell is on this guy's mind? He's never spoken like this before. Because it was always business, money, dollars, lifestyle, helping people. Then it became about something bigger. It was a cause. And it, it got a hold of me. I fought it so many times to not talk about it because never talk about politics. Don't touch politics. You're going to lose people. I said, I can't have one. So it's a part of me. Uh, uh, if you don't like it, I understand. I'm going to do my best to present it in a respectful manner that you will not be offended. And you'll just say, I disagree, which is fine. So I come back and I wrote a 16-page Jerry Maguire-esque type of a letter to the company. And I send it to the executives at the top. Nobody responded back for a week. Then I took the letter and I sent it to the owners, which is the owners of the company, Agon. And within 30 minutes, the gentleman responded back and he says, this is one of the best letters sent over here. Uh, who has spoken to you about this? I said, nobody. Following week, uh, seven people fly out to Irvine. They have a meeting with me. And I go and they say, I want you to present it to us. And I present it to everybody. Next thing you know, they're like, well, it's great ideas, all this other stuff. They tried something for one month and they said, we're not doing any of it. I said, okay. And then a couple events took place where one lady named Susan, which by the way, I talk about in this chapter, the whole story is pretty epic. In this, your next five moves that's coming out on August 18. I explain the whole story here, even more detailed. Uh, this comes out August 18, your next five moves through Simon & Schuster. This one's coming out. But uh, I, I, I called her up and I said, hey, this is what we're trying to do. And she all of a sudden said some stuff to me. I said, I don't think you realize this. I'm here. I'm going to make one of four decisions here. She says, what's that? I said, I'm either going to sell my book of business or, and leave the industry. Number two, I'm going to stick around and I'm going to be the CEO of the company eventually. I'm going to leave the entire industry or I'm going to go start my own company. I fly out to Atlanta. All their attorneys are sitting there, everybody. All the guys are sitting right there around this massive table that was a former CEO's uh, office. And I told them everybody what's on my mind. These guys start laughing. A guy named Paul starts laughing. Other people start laughing like, ah, ha, ha, everybody says this. The president of the company hangs up on the Zoom, says, I got to go do other things. No problem. Now, keep in mind, at this point, I'm the fastest growing guy in the company. I leave, and they said, you're not going to leave this company. There's no way in the world. So no problem. We go to Hawaii, there's an event. They asked me to speak at this Hawaii event. I said, you don't want me to speak. He says, no, you're speaking. You're the closest. I said, I'm not speaking at this event. He said, no, you got to speak. I said, I'm not speaking at this event. My wife, who is the nicest person you'll meet, she can't harm an ant, you know, herself. She can't harm anything. She says, babe, you got to go speak. I said, babe, it's not happening. You, 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 don't, you don't disrespect me like that. I, I don't do well with things like that. I don't put my life into this for you to have the right to talk to me that way. I don't do, I don't do good with things like that. She says, babe, just go, just go talk. I said, not going to happen. Then I had an epic conversation with one of the leaders at that company and I sat him down and I said, you know this guy. And I sat him down and I said, listen, what are your next moves? What are you gonna be doing here? I don't think you like this business. I don't think you like this industry. What do you wanna do? You're the best speaker in the company. You're one of the best speakers I've seen in my life. You're extremely talented. You know how to talk to people's heart. What do you wanna do? 
at this point, and again, he's got a great life, beautiful life, beautiful wife, beautiful kids, doing good for himself. But you could tell something was holding him back as well. He didn't want to give his best. I didn't know the whole story, what it was, but he was straightforward with me. He says, you know what? Maybe I don't know what I'm doing next. I said, that's all you have to tell me. I respect the fact that you told me the truth here. Boom. My decision was made right there. I'm out of this company. September 23rd, I woke up. Three months after we got married, uh, prior to that, uh, I put an event together called Saving America, Doing the Impossible. I was dressed as George Washington. My wife was dressed as Lady Liberty. We had a 40-foot Mount Rushmore on the stage. Uh, yeah, I had Michael Reagan, Ronald Reagan's son come to the event, Larry Greenfield, Dudley Rutherford, all these guys. September 23rd, I woke up and I told my wife we're resigning today. And she said, babe, what are you talking about? We just got married three months ago. I said, I'm resigning today. We have $60,000 of commissions coming in. I'm resigning today. She calls my dad. She calls all my friends to convince me not to leave. I said, guys, I'm telling you, you ain't changing my mind. I'm resigning today. Resigned the company. Uh, 30 days later, we got sued by a $400 billion company lawsuit. This big that I keep next to me all the time. I love that lawsuit. And uh, they were trying to put us out of business. They didn't think I had money. We finally settled. I paid off the check. We got to work. We lost a lot of contracts the first year of the business because everybody was worried that I'm going out of business. So a company called LSW cut our contract. They're our biggest carrier today. We're going to end up giving them 5,000 insurance policies this month. Uh, North American ended up cutting our contract because of worried about us going out of business. And eventually, uh, it went from being one office in Northridge, California to what it is today. And uh, the rest is history. You know, it's funny. For the first five years, that was a big motivator of us trying to prove a point and all that other stuff. If you ask me and my guys in the company, when's the last time I mentioned my former company on a conference call, they would tell you probably three to five years ago. It's not even something we think about. The marketplace is so big. This is gonna be, last month was our biggest profit uh, uh, revenue month ever in the history of the company. It was our biggest policy count ever in April, biggest EBITDA month. And this month is our biggest month times two. We've never had a month as big as this. Revenues, commissions paid, number of policies sold. We have 10,000 new agents came on board this month and over 10,000 policies sold this month, this month. And uh, it's been a wild ride, but uh, yeah, that's, that's uh, somewhat the story of what took place, the shorter version of it. Dude, it's like, you, you, is there a, you, have you wrote a book about that? Yeah, I mean, the, the whole the two chapters is about that in here. Very, very detailed of what happened. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so, so that's that part about why we started PHP. Hey, and that's funny that you have a book, you're holding it and it doesn't come out for a while, but you already have it. I'm the opposite. I, I said, I'm going to write a book. It's called the hard way lessons. I learned the hard way. So you don't have to, I started writing it, got about three, four chapters in and you know how things go when you're not prioritized. So ultimately it dragged on. And then I said, I put up a website and I said, I'm coming out with the book. If you want to order it, you can pre-order it here. That was like two, three months ago. It's like, how do you not release that book if you've got it in your hand? What, 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 what are you gaining by waiting? People, I, I'm not in charge. Oh, I had a conference call with Simon and Schuster about releasing it June 18th. That's supposed to be the date, June 18th. But uh, they said there's no way in the world they can get 25,000 prints by June 18th. So meaning you can sell it by June 18th, but copies are not going to be sent out till July 18th, July 19th. I said, so what do you want to do? They said, we're suggesting August 18th. I said, great, August 18th, it's Two weeks prior to my convention, we'll move it to August 18. We settled on that number. But I want the book out today. I just don't know. It's not a self-published, so I don't control the book. If the bomb squad wants to go buy that book right now and wait for it like they are mine, where do they go? Oh, they can get a chance. If they buy a book today, if you go to yournextfivemoves.com, like literally the words, the letters, yournextfivemoves.com, and you buy a copy, you'll get chapter three sent over to you. But the book will not be coming out till August 18th, but at least you'll get a chapter to read. And I kind of talks about some of this stuff in that chapter. Dude, I've sold close to, I think, not many compared to obviously real authors and real Simon & Schuster. But I've sold close to like 900, <laughs> 900 books, just pre-order. And here's what I started saying. And in the last, I think, three weeks, put another 600 on that tally. And all I said is, I'm going to pick, these are limited edition signed copies, and I'm going to pick one of the books that I sell in a pre-order, the pre-order, limited edition, I'm going to buy one back for a hundred grand. So now it's like a freaking lottery ticket as well. Now, with a reach like yours, would you ever try something like that? Do you think that's a good idea or a dumb idea? 
here's what I believe in. When we started our channel, this is what I said to uh, myself and Mario. I said, listen, I'm giving this thing two years to see if my content, my voice is worth listening to. And if it's not, I will not create content anymore. If it is, we'll double down. Two years later, I said, okay, we got some value here. Now let's double down. So I don't know if you remember two and a half years ago, I shut down the channel for 90 days because I wanted to see what are we doing next? We were all like 450,000 subs. I said, the only way I'm bringing the channel back up is because we're going to 10 million. I'm not doing it for a million. I'm only doing it because we're going to 10 million. I had to really dig deep because creating content is nonstop. I mean, you, you have, we have a schedule and you got to be on and you have to get it out and you got to come out with new things. And when you do uh, interviews, I've got pages and pages of research. I'm sitting down to interview these guys and I have to read books on top of books. And it's a lot of work. But my philosophy is if you buy this book, and you read the book, and it's that sick, you're gonna tell the world about it. That's what I'm relying on. I'm gonna do my part to move the book, but I, I, I'm more about, I wanna produce such a sick product that it's worthy of you telling your uncle to go buy it. Speaking of all that work you do, because again, you got a lot of shit going on, Patrick. You've got you know, a lot of shit, and to put that content out seems like it takes you most of the day but yet you're still running PHP. You've got, you probably got things no one even knows about going on, investments, things like that. What do you do for time management? Do you have a process or any kind of time management protocol? Yeah, I have a lot of people around me that help me out with my calendar, a lot of people. So I've always been the guy that if the average guy needs one assistant, I need two. If the average guy has two, I have four. And the uh, 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 biggest reason why I can do what I do is because I'm always looking for talent. By Tim and I just hired a president. So officially, my president is going to be here uh, on Monday. He and his wife and six kids are moving out here. This is a stud of a guy uh, who has spent over $200 million on Facebook ads, and he's a beast. He's going to be here on Monday. He'll be our president. Uh, we just hired a CMO for Valuetainment, and I just hired another talent, a biz dev guy, that's moving out here. One of them's moving here from Phoenix. One of them's moving here from uh, Boca. And the other one's moving out here from, I believe, Philadelphia. Uh, because uh, uh, my philosophy is all about recruiting. And when I say recruit, I'm not talking about sales recruiting. I'm talking about recruiting for people that can do research for me. Recruiting for people that can, you know, keep my calendar together. Recruiting for people that can uh, deal directly with my bookers. Recruiting bookers to have competition amongst my four or five bookers. It's all about recruiting. You can, you can buy time back by recruiting the best talent. It's so amazing how easy that is. How do you judge, though? How, like, like where, how do you get them, find them, and, and judge them? That's a good question, man. You know, uh, uh, I mean, that's like the ultimate question you just asked. Because in life, we get judged by the woman we marry or the man we marry, right? In life, you get judged by uh, uh, your friends and what kind of quality people you can befriend. Uh, uh, in life, you get judged on what kind of grandkids we raise, meaning raising good kids that you never know who's a good parent until you see the grandkids. That's the real product because you develop leaders. In, in life, we get judged on a lot of that. But in life, you also get judged on the kind of people you recruit. And some of the things on recruiting, I'll tell you the mistakes I made in recruiting, I think that's more a, a better place to start. I used to be so blown away by being able to recruit high quality, educated, talented people. I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy's agreeing to work for us. I can't wait to tell people that I brought this guy on board. You know, it's kind of like when you're single and you're a kid, you're like, I can't wait to go to school and hold a girl's hand. This is great. I can't wait to tell my friends I went to first base, second base, third base. I had a home run. You, you won't even believe what happened last night. Like, it's like, you're so excited because people are going to be so impressed by who you just dated or you, you know, had fun with. In the world of business, when you grab a paper and pen and you write out your non-negotiables, the values and principles that you're not willing to negotiate, then when you're recruiting people, you, you tell them these are the non-negotiables and they tell you, I can do two of them, but I can't do the third one. The moment you negotiate one of your non-negotiables, you officially screw the whole thing up. Never negotiate your non-negotiables. Not with a woman you're gonna marry, not with a man you're gonna marry, not with an investor, not with a business partner, not with anybody bringing on board, no matter how amazing they are, because you will go to sleep upset with yourself that you compromise something that's that valuable to you. Now, let me give you the flip side of the coin. You can't also have too many non-negotiables. Too many people have way too many non-negotiables. You can't have 15 non-negotiables. I'm talking about three non-negotiables. 
here's what things I'm not willing to not negotiate, right? And by the way, it's different for different scenarios, different talent, different positions, different departments. So it's not like there's a black and white answer to it. There's a lot of gray area answer to it. But you can't nego- you can, uh, uh, compromise your non-negotiable vision, culture, some of that stuff. You can't do it. So finding the best talent is the following. Let's just say, uh, uh, Brad, you and I know a guy who's single, okay? And he tells us he's looking for a girl. He's 28 years old. He's got a degree from Georgia Tech. The guy's got a good job. He makes 82 grand a year. Quality guy, good parents, Catholic, let's just say. And he's 5'11", you know, 190 pounds. He took care of himself, clean cut, good looking guy. You know, maybe in the looks wise, he's like a seven and a half. He says, guys, uh, you guys are like my older brother, father figure, uncle figure. Uh, uh, I'm looking for a girl. Okay. So when he says, I'm looking for a girl, what is the pool of single women you and I know? In the thousands, right? Then he says, we say, so what kind of a girl you're looking for? Well, I'm hoping she's pretty. There's a lot of pretty people that uh, me and Brad know. Uh, Okay. I'm looking for her to be this. Then you go specific and you say, how tall are you not willing to go past? Well, I don't want to be taller than five, seven. Perfect. We just lost a few people. Okay. How short are you not willing to go? I don't want to be less than 5'4". Okay, we just lost a lot of people. Um, Weight-wise, I want her to be about 130 pounds. Okay, we lost a few people. Uh, Religion-wise, what are you willing to do? She has to be Catholic. I just lost 80% of my people, okay? Schooling, does she have to have a degree? No. Can she have kids? No, I don't want any kids. Can she have been married before? No, she can't be married because I've never been married before. Does she have to be a worker today? Yes, she needs to have a job. Okay, I just lost seven more girls. When you do that, the list of thousands of women comes down to three, four names. So when you tell the world what kind of a woman you're looking for with specific answers, you help everybody in your life find that person for you. The same happens with recruiting. The moment I know exactly who I want to recruit, exact criteria, and I tell you, then Bradley says, Pat, I got somebody you got to talk to. Perfect. Love to talk to, man. That's recruiting for me. Isn't it, I, you know, I think I always judge myself. Like I find myself not comparing myself, judging myself. There's a difference. Like, like I look at people, I'm like, I admire this about them. I wish I was a little more like that. You know, I, I admire this about this person um, to almost like create a better version of me. And recruiting and culture is always something I struggle with because it's almost like I need someone to do this and I don't, I don't, I have a hard time figuring out what those non-negotiables are. So like when it comes to a girl, it's not as hard, but when it comes to an employee, it's much harder. Like for example, you said, you know, this guy, you're looking at this guy, 82 K good parents. What if they had bad parents? Is bad parents a non-negotiable? He's, he's fairly good looking. Are we looking? And, and by the way, this is, you know, you, you can't get away with this in, in employment law, but like, I don't want to, for example, this is just for example, I don't want to hire uh, an, an ugly uh, fat ass. So, so is that a non-negotiable where it's like, dude, I'm not hiring anybody that's fat. Why? Well, because if they're fat, that means this and I'm not, I don't want that. I want a culture of badass, model-esque, freaking high-powered, enthusiastic, positive son of a bitches and I'll train them the rest. Now, is that, is that what you're talking about? Because I don't do that. I think I don't really care what someone looks like. I don't care if they have bad parents, but I don't get it down and define it to the point you just did. How would someone do that? Yeah, I don't do any of that stuff when it comes down to employees, by the way. That's, that's what I'm saying. If you marry somebody, you better pay attention to their parents because their parents are the ones that raise the product you're about to marry. And that's a big risk if you don't pay attention to the parents. So those things, I, and you better be physically attractive to them because if you can't physically be attractive to them, Gravity is going to work against you, right? So you, you need to be physically attractive to them. When it comes on to business, uh, there's a lot of things you can pick and choose. Hey, I'm a nine to five guy. Yeah, we're not. Yeah, I can't do that. Okay, great. This is not going to work because we're not a nine to five culture. But I'm a salary. I'm going to get the job. We're just not a nine to five culture. If we have to get something done, you may stay some nights at eight, nine o'clock. I can't do that. Okay, cool. You know, so, hey, I'm an editor. Now, I'm an editor, but I only work from home. Yeah, we want you to be at the office. I can't do that. No problem, buddy. It's all good, man. Wish you nothing but the best. Hey, at our office, we read a book every month, and you need to write a paper on it every month. Write a book? Read a book? I'm not doing that. No problem. All the best. 
See, when you have specifics, because the reason why I put book as a priority, well, we don't hire people if you don't agree to. You have to write and agree to reading a book a month with us that you buy and you go read. Why do we do that? If you don't subscribe to Improving, we're just not the company for you. It's that simple. You can be awesome. You can be brilliant. You can have a fancy degree. This is not the place for you. We wish you nothing but the best. So, and by the way, it's so funny you're saying this because a year ago, we had the biggest conflict a year and a half ago. So Ray Dalio's book, uh, Principles, it created so much havoc for my office. So I went out there and I told all my sales leaders, they all need to read this book. So we ordered 5,000 copies of his book. No problem. Then I asked my home office employees to read the book. Now it's a 650 page book and it's pretty technical. So my COO at the time, she comes up and she says, Pat, you can't ask $15 an hour people to read a 600 page book. They're not here. I said, no, not doing it. They have to read the book. So I'm doing a meeting with 50 of my employees at the time. And I said, well, uh, tell me what you took away from the book. And I asked this one girl, said, uh, I, I took this away from the book. I said, have you read the book? I have. I said, let me see your book. And I looked at the book, three pages into it, she's written something, after that, nothing. I said, what did he mean by such and such? And I asked the question, I don't know. What was this story about? I don't know. What was that story about? I don't know. I said, no problem. I'm looking at her while I'm texting my CEO saying she's fired after this meeting. We fired her. So then my CEO comes, COO comes and she tells me this, which she was right. She says, you can't fire people if you haven't made this book think mandatory to everybody. Because we never told these people before we hired them. I said, now that part, you're right. So we hired a culture person that came in and she went and interviewed 26 of my employees. Very annoying. 26 of my employees. And then she came up and presented from what all the employees said about me and how they viewed me. It was a very annoying meeting, but it was a phenomenal meeting, right? Patrick expects you to do this and sometimes it's this and sometimes it's this. I'm like, okay, this is how you guys see me. No problem. Some of the stuff I said, that's bullshit, that's bullshit, that's bullshit. I don't care if you don't like me about this one. This one's not you. But these nine issues, okay, I'm willing to talk about these. She came back three months later. We wrote out exactly what our culture book is. It's almost like uh, Netflix has a 121 page one. We have our own as well. When we hire people, you have to read it and know that you have to accept these principles. If you don't, we're very comfortable saying this is not the company for you. And everybody we interview, whether you come on board or we don't accept you, we give everybody we interview a gift, everybody. Everybody gets a gift because even the people we don't hire, we want you to walk away saying, you know what, they didn't hire me, but no one's ever given me a gift. These are some of the things that we finally got clear on after making so many mistakes. So I don't know if that answered your question for you, but that's kind of what it means when I say non-negotiables. Yeah, it does. It's just that clarity that, 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 that I think I'm missing. I'm trying to, I'm now I'm interviewing you for me. Why? Well, cause dude, the bomb squad can pick up things that I'm trying to figure out. And what I'm trying to figure out is how do I interview? And like you said, like you text her and said, Hey, this girl's fired. Like to me, sometimes like, I'll hire somebody because I think, well, shit, the only way to tell is to, is to freaking bring them on and see what happens. I, I think that might be a mistake. And then, and then number two, I haven't defined my, my non-negotiables, which I'm going to go uh, try over the next weekend and do that. But the biggest thing is once I hire them, I feel like shit firing them. I just like, I would have never done, I would have never did what you did. I would have, I would have realized she didn't write the, uh, read the book. And then I would have sat there and argued with her. Well, why didn't you read the book? And then, you know, I would have probably just condoned it, which that's what hurts people's culture. Yes. Now here's the thing though. Let me give you the flip side because I want to be as clear and concise with you and your audience as possible. That's only with W2, not 1099. I can't do that with 1099. So with my sales guys, I'm very patient because I don't pay them hourly. But if I'm paying you a salary and hourly, we're exchanging money for hour. You got to do what we ask you to do, not 1099. Because 1099, you can go sell one week and you make 20 grand. The next week, you don't have to work because I don't pay you a salary. You're 1099. A very big difference. So it's two different communities you're talking to. You know, you, you have to know how to speak to these different communities. So to W2, yes, but to 1099, no, it's a different ballgame. You're a little bit more patient with 1099. You're a little bit more patient with your sales guys. You're a little bit more understanding of how creative department works when they're editing because they're very sensitive. You have to know that you can't critique a video bad because to them it's art. So then you learn how to deal with compliance folks. You learn how to deal with processors. You learn how to deal with customer service. You'll realize how you need to teach the customer service guys when they're answering the phones. So, so then, then you kind of get a feel on how to talk to different people uh, based on the department and the strengths that they have. So, 
But yeah, I would say that's how I am with my W-2s. So if all of a sudden you, you hire someone that swears they're not a nine to fiver and, and, and literally at nine to five, you, see, you keep seeing the same four people cut out at 459. They're at the elevator getting out of there. What would you do? Fire them? No, I'm going to, I'm going to have an immediate conversation in that moment. Cause, right. cause to me, cause to me, I've, I've had, I've tried to have this culture where, man, we just get the job done. We're here early. We, we stay late, but people always say, well, well, like, why do you tell me it's nine to five if it's not nine to five? Let me ask you, are you the old, are you, you got siblings? Me? Yes. Are you the oldest, middle, youngest? M- middle. You're the middle? Yeah. Who, who got the most spanking or who got trouble the most? Me. You did? And how many more are after you? Just one? No, there's four more. But my mom and dad divorced, so those four are like half siblings. Okay, got it. So I'm the youngest of the of the four that went with my dad, and then my mom she didn't want to give up. She kept humping and had four more. Okay, got it. So that's cool. Big family. You know, it, it, one of the things I learned that you got to do is every quarter or so you have to make an example. If you don't, you become soft. The same way in the streets, you got to make an example sometimes. You have to make an example in your office or else everybody thinks that, hey, you know, it's cool. You know, Brad doesn't care. And no, you have to make an example. I'm in the sales business. Salespeople sometimes abuse and they cross the line and they do stupid shit. And they they end up costing you a lawsuit where you got to be on the phone with attorneys for a long time for unnecessary reasons. I will terminate somebody every quarter or so just to make a statement. Try crossing the line and get a bad reputation for PHP. You will be terminated. And I will do it publicly with my sales guys. Uh, you can't do that. Then everybody will realize, oh, Pat doesn't just want business at all costs. Damn, that was kind of like, uh, wow, you better make sure you never do that again. We were kind of thinking about doing that. You definitely ain't doing it anymore. And do you know how we fire you? If, if you? if you really cross the line with me and you cause reputational damage to the company, I tell every insurance company who you are. So no one appoints you. No, you, you, we, we, don't, we don't work that way. Now, if you want to leave and you're just not happy with us, we will give you endorsements. We will call the company you're going to. We will help you out. No problem. We'll work with you. But if you decide to compromise the values and it's like your third strike, not first strike. First strike will always uh, work with you because you're new. But if you're a third striker with us, yeah, it'll be a public example made. And if that happens, everyone's going to know, okay, I can't get away with that part. You know, one of the first videos you watch when you become an agent with us is a video titled 12 Dumbest Mistake You'll Make as an Insurance Agent. You know what I talk about? Forging, uh, uh, selling if you're not licensed, uh, using words you can't use such as guaranteed. You know, I go through 12 things you can do to cost, and that fear is put very quickly into salespeople to know, you, I don't want you to be misrepresenting because we're not okay with that. This is not that company. You know what that video does? Brad, I can't tell you how many people say, this is not the place for me. All the best to you, buddy. You know, how many people also say, dang, if these guys are this upfront about it like this on day one, I kind of like this place. It's a very different approach, but it's culture. We're comfortable with that. So again, everything is about as you're building your company and you're creating this DNA, you eventually get to a point to say, what do we want our company to stand for? And what kind of people do we want to attract? And what kind of people do we want to keep? And what kind of people are we okay losing? When you get to a point where you're clear in your philosophies, you don't second guess yourself. That you heard it, folks. Two more questions, Patrick. I know you got to run. Two more questions. One, you have 15,000 agents out there building lives and freaking helping people become insured. I think the COVID 19 epidemic or pandemic, I, I, I think, stimulated that whole industry. Would you agree with that? No doubt about it. Yeah. And then, so, so where do your 15,000 agents get their leads? Uh, they don't get their leads. It's all word of mouth. I, I'm, I'm a fan of I'm a fan of teaching you how to hunt because if you learn how to generate your own leads, you're irreplaceable. If you're somebody that closes leads, you are replaceable. So if you want to be replaceable, go to a place that gives you the leads. If you want to be irreplaceable, you learn how to generate leads. So we have a whole model we go through to teach you how to be irreplaceable, and uh, that's worked for us like a charm. Beautiful. And then last question. If, if someone's listening to this thinking, what is the next book I should read to basically improve my life? Doesn't have to be financially, just makes me a better human. What's the one book right now that you've read recently or, or ever 
that you would say, if you haven't read this book, I would suggest everyone on earth read it besides yours. If it's recent. Actually, not even besides yours. If you really feel that way about it, I want to know the book, every single person that wants to improve their life in any area would go Let read. Let me tell you, I'll, I'll tell you this. I will, I will never recommend you buy my other books. They're good books. They're not great books. Meaning, Your Next Five Moves is an insurance book. Drop out and get schooled. It's just the thing I wrote. It's not a big deal. Life as, a, as an entrepreneur, first 90 days, I wrote it because uh, my buddy and I wanted to just get a book out there because he ran a publishing house. So he said, why don't we do it? I, I will tell you, the level of confidence I have in this book, like I don't need the money. That, I don't know what they're going to send me. 20% on this? What is the price? $28 book? 20, uh, 25 bucks? Okay. It's not the money. Obviously, the money's fine. It's going to pay for something. But uh, this would be the book I'd be reading. And let me explain to you why. Here's why. And I give another book as well, recommendation-wise, but this is definitely one of them. The reason why that's a book to read today, oh, by the way, Trillion Dollar Coach will be a good book to read. Uh, if you've never read Trillion Dollar Coach, it's a 100% great book to read. He's the guy that coached the guys that became Trillion Dollar Companies. This is the reason why I could sell this book to everybody today, for the next five moves. You know, um, everybody could, has good ideas. Everybody has good passions. Everybody is, you know, wanting to do something special with their lives. Maybe not that big, but everybody wants to do something. I will tell you, Brad, when I watch my peers, my friends, my relatives, they have the, they have the moves all screwed up, meaning they're trying to make move number 17 on move number three. That's just not how life works. They're trying to do move 11 on move two. You're not in the right sequence. The, the ability of you winning in business and life and military, so many times people are a little too excited. Boom. You gave away all your, you know, moves and your strategies and your signals to everybody. No. Hold off. Boom. First, I'm going to do this. Then I'm going to do this. Then I'm going to do this. Then I'm going to do this. But I know my move number 38 is that. But then I'm going to do this. The sequencing of moves uh, is so critical. You look at anybody that's winning in life. You know, for me, a long time ago, I created a 20-20-20 plan, and here's what I meant by it. The first 20 years as you're growing up, just make sure you don't make a big mistake. I mean, when I say big mistake, just don't get a felony, don't get a right, don't do anything that's going to hurt you for 10, 20 years. The next 20 years is find an industry that you can give 20 years to and go make real money. I'm not talking money like 50 grand, 100 grand. I'm talking make real money. Have some money in the bank. Have a few million dollars in the bank if you can get to the 10 number, even better. Then on your third 20, you can choose to chase passion because you have now money. So, but don't use the run of you trying to make your first few million to just chase passion. That's, there's so much, you know, nonsense about this passion stuff. If you chase your passion, you'll make it. You'll never be a working a day in your life. Okay, great. My passion is people. But I want to make movies. There's a lot of things I want to do in my life. I'm just not going to do it at this phase, but I'm going to do it on the next move. I may have some interest in sports teams or politics or other things. It's not happening during this segment, not during this session. Those things are why I wrote this book called Your Next Five Moves. When you're done reading this book, you will never look at your life and your decisions the same way. You'll sit there by yourself and you're bored out of your mind and you'll say, you know what? What's my next move? Okay. I want to be able to do this. What do I need to do to practice this? Okay, first you need to call this guy. They need to get to this. They need this much money. They need this technology. They need to recruit this. Then we need to get this software. Then I need to go out and get this. I need to learn this. I'm going to buy every single book on Amazon on these three topics. How many books are there? Hey, can you order every single book on these three topics? What do you mean? Any book with over 300 reviews that's four-star or higher, buy all the books. Okay, great. And then I'm going that's, to, that's the game. You know, that's the game. So, yeah, it, it, this challenges the person to think in a complete different way where you don't just say, let me just read a book because somebody recommended me. If people send me hundreds of books. I don't read any one of them. The reason why I don't read any one of them because I'm, I'm in charge of what I want to study next, not the world. What do I want to study next? I choose topics, then I devour those topics. Not the world says, hey, you know, go read this book. No, no. This will make you say no more often because you know exactly what you want to do, not what the world wants you to do. Challenges, people are too often living somebody else's life. Listen, you got to go live your life. I got three kids. I love these guys. But if you think for a moment, I expect them to sell insurance, you're out of your mind. 
all I look for for these guys is I sit down and I talk to them. My oldest is very weird. He's read over 100 books. He just finished his first business book, by the way, at eight years old. And he read it like this. And he, he comes in every day. He needs to, he finished the documentary, The Last Dance. Right now he's reading, watching the documentary, Men Who Built America, right? When you watch this guy, Brad, if you say the smallest thing about his character, he's offended, he holds a grudge. You won't forget it. He'll remind you. He'll be like, hey, you said this to me. I'm not okay with that. He's very sensitive, but he has boundaries you cannot cross. Older people are intimidated by this eight-year-old kid. Very interesting kid, right? He's been like that for a long time. My middle one, I, I can't say this to him, everyone loves this kid. If he's got a Bo Jackson butt. He's got calves of an athlete. The guy is chiseled like this. Girls love him. He's a beautiful writer. You know, big heart, competitive, protects his sister, so gentle with her. You know, very interesting guy, charismatic, charming, you know, interesting taste for music, full of life, wants to be around people, never wants to be alone, just going on. He comes to the office, walks around, goes in people's offices, and just talks to them. So what are you working on today? He's six years old. What do you mean, what are you working on today? My eight-year-old would never do that. My youngest, I surprised her the other day, and I said, baby, I'm going to take you out on your birthday. We're going to go on a date night. We're going on a date night. Oh my gosh, we're going on a date. Me and you are going on a date night. Can I go to mommy? We're going on mommy. Daddy's taking me on a date. I mean, she can't hold herself back with enthusiasm, right? I can't wait to see, Brad, what moves them. I can't wait to see what industry moves them. Once I know what moves them, this is the game we're playing. That's all there is to it. Not the game that daddy wants to play. The game they want to play. And we're going to put the next 15, 25 moves for them, not for their daddy. That's how I lead people. That's how I build people. And that's how I uh, identify my next moves on the next vision or goal I'm chasing. So I would say this book. Yes, I'm going to say your next five moves. Folks, you heard it. You go get it at yournextfivemove.com. You want to follow Patrick at Patrick Bet David. You're probably already subscribed to Valuetainment on YouTube. If you're not, you'd be crazy if 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 you don't get there before you even freaking finish this podcast. Patrick, I appreciate your time today. You're a gentleman and a scholar. And as always, man, if you guys think someone should hear this, go out, share it, and make sure that you always keep it real. Thanks, Patrick. I appreciate your time today. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate you. This is Dropping Bombs with The Real Bradley. Subscribe at droppingbombs.com.